0: Attention back to Genesis chapter 24. But before we read that again, I want to remind you that tomorrow morning, Tuesday morning, and Wednesday morning at 7 o'clock, the building will be open for prayer. Now, I think Brother Clark gets here a little bit earlier than that, and he'll have the building open probably before that. And we invite you to come by for prayer Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And then tomorrow night, and Tuesday night, we'll be having a special time of prayer right here in this room and Wednesday evening, our midweek service, in conjunction with a special emphasis on prayer, Wednesday night. We also have asked that you would fast and pray at least part of each day. And if the Lord so directs, you just let him talk to you about how long he wants you to fast, but some of you may feel led to fast the entire time. But let us believe God. We hope to meet you in some of these prayer meetings this week. Now then, I would like to read for you And with you tonight, Genesis 24, beginning with verse 62. And Isaac came from the way of the well Leharoi, for he dwelt in the south country. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field at the eventide. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, the camels were coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she lighted off the camel. For she had said unto the servant, What man is this that walketh in the field to meet us? And the servant had said, It is my master. Therefore she took a veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all things that he had done. And Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent and took Rebekah and she became his wife and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. We'd like tonight to think about the coming of the Lord. And I read this Old Testament passage and the excitement, the exhilaration, the love, the anticipation that was built up in the hearts of these two persons when their marriage was coming so close. And then when it came to pass, I just thought, what a beautiful type of the coming of Jesus and what he is looking forward to, and what we are looking forward to. When we meet, praise God, and Jesus, the bridegroom, the heavenly bridegroom, and the, the church meets together, and we go up to be with him in heaven, what a blessed event that is going to be. I tell you, it's going to be something to remember, and tonight I want to preach about the coming of the Lord, and some of the signs of his coming, and I'd like to use these Words here that we find in verse 63, as my text and my subject. Isaac went out to meditate in the field at eventide. The fields at eventide. The fields that are under discussion tonight are fields that Isaac owned. He fell heir to them. His father Abraham decreed that he should be the sole heir to the land that he was leaving to Isaac. Before Abraham's death, he sent his servant, Eliezer, back to find a bride for his son, Isaac. The servant went on this long mission, and there's a sermon in itself. I have another sermon about that, how that he went to seek the bride. But when he found the bride for Isaac and brought her back, after all that beautiful love story that you see how God directed him and how he sent his angel before him... And some believe, and I do not discredit that, that the servant is a type of the Holy Spirit. That Rebekah is a type of the bride. That Isaac is a type of the son. And be that as it may, I just simply want to use the meeting. The final arrival of bride and groom, and when they meet together, how that This portrays what we are anticipating, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the fact that Isaac went out into the fields at eventide to meditate. Now he owned these fields and Jesus owns this world. And I wonder tonight if he doesn't just ponder, if he doesn't meditate, if he doesn't dwell upon, if he doesn't think about, and if he is not just building up some anticipation and thrill For that moment that the Father says, all right, son, you may go now. You may go down to receive to yourself that church that you shed your blood for. You may call them up from the dead. The dead may be resurrected. The living may be translated. And I can just imagine on the part of Jesus that the event which we call the blessed hope of the church On his part is also a blessed event and he too is looking forward to it. We think that we're the ones looking forward, but can you imagine with what excitement, with what satisfaction the Lord who redeemed us, the Lord who shed his blood for us, the Lord who has seen the church through thick and thin through these ages. He is awaiting that moment. It must be something on his part to look forward to that blessed event. He longed, Isaac longed for the bride to share with him his inheritance. I believe that Jesus longs to share with us the mansions that he has prepared. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. He didn't just simply say, I'm going back to get away from you. I'm going to take a vacation. I can't stand it any longer. I took all this I can. I've got to get away for a little while. No, he said, I'm going to prepare for you. In my Father's house are many mansions and I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And we don't want to get into the theology of what kind of place it is, but I'm certain whatever He has prepared, it's adequate. It must be nice for the one who created the world, the one who flung the stars from his fingertips, the one who laid the foundation of the earth upon nothing and hung the unbilled arcs of the sky out there to be our tent over us. I'm sure that he has prepared something that will dazzle and will stagger the imagination. Praise God. People wonder, would God be extravagant? Why not? Why not? Uh, He owns it all. And so I believe that he has planned and he has designed and devised for his people that he ransomed and redeemed something that must be wonderful to look forward to. Praise God. I haven't been there yet so I can't really uh, tell you exactly what it looks like but I've been looking into one of his books that tells us about it and it's blessed what I do see about it. He looked across the horizon and the Bible says behold the camels were coming. I have a sermon entitled, The Camels Are Coming. (laughs) That was one I preached when I was younger. (laughs) I'm going to preach it again one day. (laughs) The camels were coming. Can you imagine how his heart began to flutter? This young man in the prime of life, he doesn't know what she looks like. He's never seen her before. He's getting ready for marriage, never seen the woman he's going to marry. His father had sent a servant to select a bride for him. And now then the camels are coming. He sees the dust clouds over the horizon across that dry, barren land, and he knows that with that camel caravan, there is one special person that is going to be there accompanied by these servants and the personnel that's bringing her, and all the excitement is more than he can bear. And at eventide, he has gone out into the the, uh, open there to meditate and to ponder and think about what is about to transpire. I'd like to believe tonight that our blessed Lord is meditating and pondering at eventide. As the shadows begin to set on this old world, as the sun dips beyond the western horizon, and the signs of the times point to the fact that all has been fulfilled and soon the consummation soon the coronation day soon that blessed event when out of the eastern sky shall appear the one who hung on the cross for our sins well i believe eventide describes the times for us it speaks of the darkness of the world the setting of the sun Time running out, the day is fast ending, night is coming on, nighttime speaking of the tribulation day, nighttime speaking of that hour of trouble for the world, but also reminding us that the day of opportunity is forever slipping by. People who are going to get in on this must do so quickly. It's like the last days prior to the flood, when Noah was finishing up the work on the ark, and he knew that time must be getting near. He must have preached with, with an earnestness, with a tender plea, begging people to get ready. And I feel tonight the Lord has sent the Holy Spirit with a special mission and a message for these last days, trying to get people to realize that time is running out. It indeed is eventide. Dark is coming on. The tribulation days are facing the world. In Matthew chapter 25, you remember the story? I believe it's in the 25th chapter, I'm not really sure. But anyway, the story about the midnight cry, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye forth to meet him. Will I believe tonight that the cry is about to be made. The bridegroom cometh, go ye forth to meet him. There are many signs that point to the coming of the Lord. And one of them is found in our recent studies in Sunday school, my particular Sunday school class at least, when we went through the book of Daniel. And in chapter 12 and verse 4, seal the book even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall be increased. Travel and knowledge shall be increased in the last days. In the latter times, in the time of the end that Daniel talked about, And the time that God told Daniel to seal the sayings of that book up until that time. And in that day, many will go to and fro. Travel will be increased. Knowledge will be increased. Never has there been a day when travel and knowledge has been increased to the extent that it is in our day. You would never have dreamed it even in the earliest days of your childhood how that people would be traveling in our day. You would never have dreamed of the amount of knowledge that would be acquired and accumulated in one generation of people. Think about it. In your lifetime and mine, we've placed the first man on the moon. Men have walked on the moon. Interspace travel. We just cannot fathom what has transpired in our lifetime. We take it for granted. We've kind of grown up with it. And we really don't realize what has happened in our lifetime. It's... Fantastic, the amount of knowledge that has increased in our day. It is said that there is a greater amount of knowledge today than in all of the history of the world put together. There is more knowledge in the world today than in all the rest of human history. That's something, isn't it? Well, we must be living in the last days. Another sign of the times, and many would dispute this, but I still feel while it may not be the primary meaning of the passage, I still feel that there must be an indication that this would be true in the last days. Mechanical transportation spoken of in Nahum chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. Chariots shall be with flaming torches in the day of his preparation. Chariots shall rage in the streets. They shall jostle one against another in the broadways. They shall seem like torches. They shall run like lightning. Now, I know the primary meaning of that may not have to do with the automobiles and the jet travel and even all of the, the different things that speed people around on this earth and through the air. But I cannot help but believe that the prophet had an insight that this would fit into the pattern of time in the last days also. Because we are seeing mechanical transportation develop even uh, greater capacity as time draws near to the coming of the Lord. Unemployment and strikes are a very sure indication of the last days. The eighth chapter of Zechariah, verse 10, tells us this. Before these days, there was no higher... For man, unemployment at record levels. Before these days of Armageddon, there was no hire for man, nor beast. I said all men, every one against his neighbor. Men against their neighbors. That certainly must depict strikes of our day. Brothers on opposite side of the picket fence. One in, in management, the other on the labor force. And here, here we have brothers looking each other in the eye with hatred and malice. Our truckers afraid to put their big rigs on the highway, afraid of being shot at recent, in recent weeks. So certainly this must speak of the last day strife. Connected with unemployment and strikes. Apostasy is a sign of the last days. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 3 says, That day shall not come except there come a falling away first. A falling away is not a mere backsliding, it's a reversion to apostasy. People leaving the basic tenets of our faith and going back to other forms of religion disassociating themselves from the Christian faith, from the blood of Jesus, from the plan of salvation, and going back to other religions other than Christianity. So apostasy is evidently a sure sign that we're living in the last days. And the Bible says there will be a falling away. Seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. I would consider communism a doctrine of the devil. I would consider evolution, the evolutionary theory, a doctrine of devils. I would consider many other humanistic theories Doctrines of devils, but then many that are based on so-called scriptural foundations, doctrines of devils. So we're living in the last days when these seducing spirits that will come to people's mind and seduce them away and entice them away, getting them to believe a lie rather than the truth. Perilous times are a sign of the last days. Second, Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. In the last days, perilous times shall come. Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, High-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. Brother, I believe we're reading a Bible commentary of our times. When we look around us and we see the depravity and we see the depths to which man has descended into the very gutters and quagmire of sin and depravity, we can't help but realize we're living in the last days. It's always been here, no doubt about it. It was part of the Roman culture. It was part of the Greek culture. It's always been around, but I believe the intensity of it in this day and time is unparalleled. When we should know better, when we do know better, and yet the world is not getting better. Some would have us to believe that the world is going to gradually get better until we evolve into the millennium. Never in a million years could man ever evolve into a, a utopia that he himself has created and things just got better and better because our scientists and our great thinkers have devised ways for us to do better, we're getting worse. The Bible tells us that evil men will wax worse in the last days. And so I do not believe that we're going to see a millennium ushered in because of education and because of some renaissance in the 20th century. I believe that we're going to see a worsening. We're going to see more pornography. We're going to see more violence, more crime, more hatred, more animosity, more murders, more rape, more homosexuality. We're not going to stop those terrible, devastating sins by some campaign and slogans that we adopt, but God in the midst of that is going to send a holy Ghost revival that will call out for himself a church that is washed in the blood and ready to go to heaven in the midst of a sinful and an adulterous generation. The light is not going to be snuffed out by the world. Never will the world snuff out the light of the world. Jesus is the light. We are the light because we reflect his light. Just like the sun is a body of light and heat and energy. The moon reflects the light of the sun. We as the church reflect the light of the Father. And and the the world will never put that out. Thank God. Another sign of the times is the antediluvian conditions that existed in the days of Noah are going to be prevalent and, and be pronounced in the day that we live now and in the day that Christ comes again. Luke chapter 17, verse 26 through 30 says, As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And the flood came and destroyed them all, likewise also as it was in the days of Lot. They did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Well, we're going to see people going on with business as usual, eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage. You know, nothing wrong with marrying, nothing wrong with eating and drinking, if it's the right thing. <laughs> qualify that, people will be occupying their jobs and uh, doing things that are, are just normal business occupation in the day that the Lord comes. And the problem is this, they have no awareness of the time they're living in. No consciousness that time has run out. No consciousness that the Lord is about to split the eastern sky. Another sign of the times is the distress of nations that we read about in Luke chapter 21, verse 25. There should be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity. Never before has the United Nations or the League of Nations and any other group of people that have gotten together to try to solve world problems Never have they had such difficulty trying to resolve these flare-ups and these overthrow of governments. They just cannot stop it. They stop it over here and it breaks out in another place. They send some units over there and here's another hot spot. And all over the globe, these eruptions continue to take place. Perplexity, distress, of nations, men's hearts, failing them for fear, for looking after those things which shall come upon the face of the earth. Many of these anti-nuclear demonstrations today are nothing more than than, uh, a facade. They're a cover-up for the liberals and those who would like to weaken America and see communism take over. Now, I want to state that categorically. I believe that with all my heart because they don't want America to be strong. But there is something else involved also, friends. There is a fear. There's a legitimate fear that people are afraid of being annihilated. People are afraid of being blown off the face of the earth with all these nuclear weapons. But I will set your mind at ease. God will never allow the human race to be destroyed by nuclear warfare. For we are clearly told in the scripture what's going to be taking place. When this church is raptured, there's going to be a seven year tribulation on the earth. Following that, there's going to be a millennial reign of Christ over the nations that will be left. There'd be nothing left if somebody blew them off the face of the earth. So we're going to be around here for a little while. And when Jesus comes, those that are not ready will still be here. And those who take the mark of the beast will be destroyed. But those who don't take the mark of the beast will still be around to be ruled and reigned over by Christ and his returning church during the millennium, during the thousand years of peace. So you're not going to be blown off the face of the earth as a whole human family and whole human race. Some people might. It might be that in some nations there be a holocaust of nuclear warfare. But I frankly don't believe that that's what's going to take place because I see the clear picture of prophecy that we're going to move with reason. The the nations discussing and talking about disarmament and making leagues and the Antichrist is going to come to power, making an agreement, promising peace and deceiving the nations. And that's, What we read in the Bible, I have to believe it's going to be that way. He's not coming to power, picking up the pieces from nuclear warfare and from where atomic bombs have blown countries all to pieces, coming in and gathering up the fragments. Oh no, he's coming making peace agreements. He's coming, as it were, riding on a white horse, like an armor, a knight in shining armor. And he's going to deceive the nations. So there will be distress of nations. And then... World rearmament. I believe it's necessary and yet it's prophecy of the last days. Joel chapter 3 verse 9 and 10. Prepare war. Wake up the mighty man. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat the plowshares into swords and pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say that I am strong. Preparation for war. Now that's going to be reversed for the millennium. Praise God, those those implements of war, those swords and spears will be turned around into plowshares and into spears. But before the millennium and in the last days, these agricultural implements will be turned into war instruments. And he says, let the weak say that I am strong. Prepare for war. Another sign of the times is the scoffers that are prevalent in the last days. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 3 and 4 tells us that there will be scoffers in the last days, saying, where is the promise of His coming? For since the days of old, the world still stand, and, and they act as if there never was a flood before and never will be in another day of judgment. They're ignorant of the fact that the world that now stands is reserved unto fire and judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But there will be scoffers in the last days, saying, where is the promise of his coming? Another sign of the times is the crumbling and disintegration of nations. Haggai chapter 2, verse 22. I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the heathen. I will overthrow the chariots and those that ride in them and the horses and their riders shall come down, every one by the sword of his brother. We have witnessed revolution in our day. There has been a century of revolution. It will continue until the time the Lord comes back again. Overthrow of governments, the downfall, coups and revolutions, assassinations, On and on and on it will continue. We're not going to resolve the problem of world terrorism until the Lord comes back. Only the prince of peace can bring peace. Antichrist will promise peace, but he will deceive the people. When Isaac walked out into the field at eventide, the shadows were stretched out. I remember as a boy I used to observe the shadows. I watched my own shadows. And sometimes I was a big boy. I had a big shadow. Then certain time of the day, I had to look close for it. It would disappear. But late in the evening, it would get long again. And I would watch the shadows of our house and the shadows of the trees. And as the sun would set, those shadows would get longer and longer and longer. There's a verse of Scripture that says, The shadows of the evening are stretched out. They're lengthening. Time is running out. The sun is setting. The time is drawing near for the coming of the Lord. It is no time for frivolity. It is no time for us to be lukewarm. It is no time for us to be prayerless. It is no time for us to play church. We don't have time to play games. We must be dead serious about living for Jesus. Friends, when Christ comes, you're going to go if you're ready to go, if you're saved, if you're in the body of Christ. If you're not saved, you're going to be left behind. The evening tide was the time of the wedding. The preparation had been made. The bride was coming. When she saw Isaac in the field, she said to Eliezer, who is that man? He said, that's your husband-to-be. She put a veil on herself and covered herself, cut down off the camel and, and covered her face, as was the oriental custom. I believe that the church today must be covered with the veil of the righteousness of Christ. We must prepare for the meeting is about to transpire. Praise God, Jesus is coming soon. We're going to see him face to face. We don't want to be embarrassed. We don't want to be ashamed. We don't want to hang our heads in an apology and say, Jesus, if I'd known that it would have been this hour, I would have prayed. I would have gotten a little closer to the Lord. I'd have been a little more conscious about my lifestyle. I'd have been a little more careful about my habits. But they themselves will be saved. They will not be expelled from heaven. They will be admitted into heaven. But their works will be subjected to the fire at the judgment seat of Christ. The white heat of God's fire of holiness will burn and sear and the dross and the chaff will be consumed and only the gold and the silver and the precious stone will abide the fire. Only the character and the person that Jesus has washed in his blood and the life that has been in his word and has met with his divine approbation will be accepted in that hour. He will not cast us out into hell but we will see our works burned in the fire. And we ourselves saved because, you see, we would not even be at that judgment if we had not been saved. Only Christians will go to that judgment. The wicked will be raised from the dead and go to the judgment a thousand years later. At this judgment, only Christians will be there. Another part of that scene is the Lord looking at the life of the the faithful, the conscientious, the dedicated, the consecrated, the sincere, the person motivated by love, trying their best to do what the Bible teaches them to do. Maybe not absolutely perfect. I doubt that there would be any perfect people standing there except having been made so by the blood. Praise God. And You know, I'm glad God looks through the blood at our life. If He didn't, we'd all be in awful trouble. Amen. But when He sees the motivation, when He sees the purity of character, and he sees the sincerity on the part of his children, the person who has really tried to do their best, he will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joys of thy Lord. Their works will stand the fire. They will not be burned up because they are not of wood and hay and stubble. I feel that I should close my message right there with this one reminder. We're living near the end of the day.